Rochester Today with Andy Brownell and Tom Ostrom on News Talk 1340 KROC AM and 96.9 FM. Good morning. It's Rochester Today. It's, what is it? It's Thursday already. Oh, my goodness. Thursday morning, Tom Ostrom is here. Good morning, Tom. Good morning. December 15. I know. Christmas month. Whoa. Can you believe it? It's, yeah, middle of December already. Yep. Man, time is flying by. Say your pretty dark sweater. Is that one of the fishing things? Or is that <laughs> yeah, a- I'm wearing it. <laughs> it's my fashion statement, Tom. I love this professional, uh, that's what it's called, professional fishing gear. Well, it looks great. One of the most comfortable dang shirts I've ever found. What's it made out of? Uh, some weird, it's some make? weird material. I'm sure it's some sort of polyester thing that um, remarkably you can wear in the summer. And you don't get too hot, even with a long sleeve, so it protects you from the sun. That's why the professional fishermen would, would wear it. But uh, it, when it's cooler, it's warm. So, oh, huh. it's a dark navy or black. What is it? Yeah, dark navy. Yeah. Okay. Okay, I didn't know you were all into my fashion sense, which well, I always watch you. Are into you know, that's huh. I have no fashion sense, so if you're uh, looking to me for fashion trends, you are in the wrong place. I'll tell you that much right now. Okay. Well, what's in the mailbag today? Franco. (laughs) Satirical humor. He shows a principal uh, of a school like a donkey, the Democrat donkey, and on the sweater it says Education Minnesota. And next to him is a child that he's got in the office. And he's teaching the child to throw darts at the wall of a picture of a female parent. <laughs> so, <laughs> and then a secretary is trying to catch up with this woke language. And, and she's confused and she sticks her head in the door and she says, his, his, uh, his, or I mean her, her mother is here. <laughs> Branco's got it figured. And then from the Babylon Bee, Corrine uh, 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 Jean, uh, Jean uh, Pierre, the press secretary, she brags about being black and being gay and everything else. And she gets so angry when she's asked a tough question. And the only reporters at the White House that ask her tough questions, Peter Ducey of Fox News. And every time he asks her a question, she says, I don't want to answer that. I don't want to answer that. So the Babylon Bee says, a restraining order has been issued against a reporter who asked Corinne Jean Joubert Pierre a question. <laughs> <laughs> and then she says, Peter Ducey, is that really a question? Is that uncalled for, Peter? These reporters are being embarrassed by you. You're being rude. I'm not going to answer that. And, and she does say things like that to him. Okay, Andrew, I bet you have watched this. My wife loves it. I have to sit and watch with her about seven different times. That wonderful The Christmas Story set in the 1940s in Indiana with that delightful little boy. And he wanted that Red Ryder uh, BB gun. And he's sitting on Santa's yeah. lap asking for it. You'll shoot your eye out. Yeah, yeah. And we just love the show. And so Gary Varville, another satirical uh, cart- political cartoonist, shows the little boy on Santa's lap when he's going to ask for the Red Ryder gun. But instead, he looks at Santa and he says, because of the Democrats' soft on crime woke policies, 
I want a real gun. <laughs> Isn't that great? <laughs> and one more mailbag. This is from Rose. Uh, she shared with me her political opinion on something, and I, I, I said back to her, Rose, you're perfectly logical and correct, but do you realize that saying that makes you a racist, makes you a bigot? And she said, um, she said, uh, I know you're uh, uh, being flippant with me, Tom, but you used <laughs> the word bigot, and it intrigued me, and I looked into it, and I looked into the definitions, because we deplorables, you're right, we, we racist bigots, we're afraid to be called names, and so when the left calls us a name, we do back down. We do uh, stop talking. We are afraid then to be judged. Uh, I can't say to one of these liberals, uh, you're an idiot. That remark is stupid. But th then we'll get called a name, and we get shut down, and it works. It works. But she said, I looked up the definition of bigot. Obstinate or unreasonable attachment to a belief or a faction or an opinion and particular prejudice against a person or people based on their membership in a group or their beliefs. And then here's the definition of prejudice, Tom. A preconceived opinion not based on reason or actual experience. Now those definitions are applied to us, but they really apply in practice to the left, to the liberals. And you called me a bigot, I know, uh, you were teasing. But I have my grit, I have my philosophies, I think they're reasonable, they're based on thoughts and experience. Um, and and uh, whether and the issues of the day that we criticize. But uh, anyway, we think those definitions apply to the other side, not to us. That's are, you gonna, are you gonna share with us what Rose said that you flippantly returned your, that remark? Well, she was uh, uh, <laughs> she was uh, criticizing the excesses of the left on uh, on education and and on on gender and sexuality uh, and and on abortion and uh, their views that she just thought were rather destructive. Okay, fair enough. All right, no, I, and it's become somewhat of a. I don't know, but call it a national joke, but it's become the fodder for jokes that this knee-jerk reaction to contend that anybody who disagrees with you is somehow bigoted or racist. And it could be an issue like um, that had nothing to do with um, what we in the United States would think of mostly as bigoted or race, you know, prejudice, which would deal with race. It would could be something with economics. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, so, yes. yeah, so you'll, yeah, it's it's a strange world we're living in right now. Yeah. All right. Is that it for the mailbag? Yes. Okay. We'll take a break and we will return with more of Rochester Today on Thursday here on News Talk 1340, KROC AM and 96.9 FM. Hi, this is Robin Gwaltney with Andy Brownell and Tom Ostrom. On News Talk 1340, KROC AM and 96.9 FM. Welcome back to Rochester Today. I'm Andy Brownell with Tom Ostrom. Tom, what do you want to cover first? Uh, this, uh, a news article on Rochester uh, 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 News, uh, AM, FM. 
News Talk Radio, and it was uh, written by a reporter named Andrew Barnell, so I don't know if we can depend on it, but I'll quote oh, it. Gosh. Mayo Clinic and the University of Minnesota announced a nursing collaboration. I think that's very interesting. And uh, I always thought they did cooperate, but I guess it's more so now. And the two organizations are announced they have a collaboration to advance nursing and uh, will utilize their partnership to generate, disseminate, and apply knowledge in nursing education and practice and outcomes. And they said they're going to focus on creating innovative undergraduate, graduate, postgraduate education degrees and uh, and address nursing workforce needs. And the quote from the university is, Mayo Clinic nurses are known for their exceptional knowledge, ex- expertise, and, and innovative patient care, said Ryan and Frederick, the chief nursing officer at Mayo Clinic, and we're going to collaborate and help us accelerate uh, nursing practice and education. This is your article, Andy, and I'll say a couple more things, see if you have anything to say. The the new organizations will partnership uh, and offer a Bachelor of Science in Nursing, and, uh, and all U of M nursing students currently will complete their clinical education at Mayo. And before I hear your comment on your own article, uh, I want to commend Rochester Community and Technical College, where I taught and retired from, because they have a good relationship with Mayo Clinic in two very popular and successful programs, uh, 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 nursing, uh, uh, they have a nursing program, and they have helped uh, staff Mayo Clinic with their, their graduate nurses uh, in that sense, and they have a dental hygiene program and a, and a dental technician program that are very popular and, and the dental uh, uh, offices uh, in the community utilize those people and, and can help them get their training experience and are very satisfied with them. So I want to put in a plug for RCTC too um, and the University of Minnesota. And I think Winona cooperates with Rochester too with their nursing programs but and, and the education in those fields are so important and the young ladies and men that go into it are so bright and do such important work so I'm glad you had that article Andy and I enjoyed reading it and, and I right I guess it just formalizes what had been an informal pri- partnership that had been there for many 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 years but it was I I found it interesting I thought it was a more of a formal arrangement and now it is a more formal arrangement between the two parties with specific goals and processes put in place. But on a related note, late yesterday afternoon, the Minnesota Nurses Association announced that those 15,000 union nurses have ratified the contracts. So the threat of a nurses strike in the Twin Cities and the Duluth area is over. Uh, It's a three-year deal. Uh, It will now go into effect with I believe 18% raises over three years uh, for the nurses of the Twin Cities, the nurses in Duluth and uh, Superior and those areas will see a 17% increase. I wonder if that will have any impact on what Mayo pays its nurses, if they'll have to step up a little bit. Um, I, I have no idea where the pay scales are or how they compare, but I, I at least that worked out and there was no lengthy nurses strike which would have been a catastrophe for the people living in those areas and it would have had a huge impact in rochester i'm sure as well that patients would try to come down here 
or care where they were dealing with a situation up in the Twin Cities. That's what I have to say about that, Mr. <laughs> okay. Yeah. More Minnesota news. Governor Waltz, and this is from uh, Sarah Mueller um, uh, on, on the uh, KROC staff. Uh, Waltz visits Minnesota National Guard members in Kuwait uh, in the Middle East. Uh, uh, he's a 24-year National Guard veteran himself, and he made the visit to Kuwait to visit the 347th Regional Support Group and the 147th Human Resources Company ahead of the holidays, and they, those troops will be in Kuwait over the holidays. Uh, and um, uh, they were deploy, deployed in September, and they and he was joined by other hard, high-ranking Minnesota National Guard officers. Um, people kind of asked me, uh, Governor Walsh got criticized late in the campaign, and I don't know if it hurt him or not. He won the election, uh, but some National Guard officers chided him for uh, dropping out of the Guard uh, at the moment he was going to be deployed to the Middle East again, and they criticized him. And people asked me, uh, uh, you know, you're a veteran of the Coast Guard. Are, uh, are you going to mention that on the air? Are you going to criticize them? And I I mentioned the news reports, but I, I didn't criticize them and I won't criticize them uh, because he served his country and he served for more than 20 years. And he was competent enough, smart enough to get a command master sergeant uh, rating. And that's the highest you can go in the enlisted ranks. And he served and he did a lot of uh, good things and competent things or he wouldn't have gotten that high. And I'm reluctant to criticize anyone who serves. To me, the honor of serving and the responsibility of serving stands on its own. So then I'm going to mention him that he went to visit troops uh, uh, near the holidays and that's fine. It's amazing how often our Minnesota National Guard members are deployed, uh, knowing some personally it seems as if more often than not they're deployed uh, and uh, and i did think i believe i'm correct in when i say this that among the national guard units statewide units um minnesota soldiers are deployed at a rate that is among the highest in the nation mm. overseas deployments and i don't know if that's a something that uh, is seen as an honor for those citizen soldiers, because I think it reflects on their competence. Yes, that they're brought up that often to take on these missions. But it's certainly, uh, on the other hand, it may be a a compliment to their skills and competencies, but it's also a curse because of the hardship on their families. Yeah, when they're gone, and knowing some of those guard members personally, uh, who especially through the '90s and 2000s when the war on terrorism was raging at full speed, their families paid a big price. Sure, sure. And they're to be commended. And I think it is their competence, uh, their record of achievements, and the particular specialization that the guard units in Minnesota have, from medical to law enforcement to, to logistics and uh, uh, things, uh, things of that nature, uh, the medical elements uh, in there. And uh, they have some significant uh, specialties that they've achieved. And speaking of that, I know uh, you saw it and I saw it that uh, our neighbors to the west over in Dodge County came up with a big donation for the law enforcement memorial that's taking shape here in Rochester. I thought that was 
thought that was pretty neat. I did too, and T.J. Leverance, our anchor uh, colleague, uh, uh, wrote an article on it, and and our uh, the Dodge County Peace Officers presented a $7,000 check for the memorial to Olmsted County Sheriff Kevin Torgerson. That law enforcement respect and cooperation is very nice. And the money is raised through the Loring Genther Memorial Golf Tournament, which is a yearly event that honors Dodge County Captain Loring Genther, who lost his life in the line of duty in September 2013. So the law officers there are supplementing the uh, Rochester Memorial, and they are part of the people to be honored because it's a a memorial that honors uh, Southeast Minnesota law officers and it honors the law enforcement officers who've lost their lives serving their communities. And uh, so that is, yeah, that is a very interesting article of uh, cooperation from um, neighbor uh, law enforcement people. And I meant last time I talked with the sheriff, our Olmstead County Sheriff, to get an update on the project, and I uh, forgot to. So I'll have to ask him about that the next time he comes in. Uh, I know it, they had begun work on it, and I know it was slowed for a number of reasons, part of it being um, supply chain challenges, the getting some of the materials that they're using to create the memorial. They're having a little bit of trouble obtaining them in a timely manner. So... I'll have to check back in with Sheriff Torgerson next time we chat to find out where they're at and if that thing is going to be ready for a dedication in the spring because that would be wonderful Yes, to see it. I know it's been uh, the dream of a lot of people for a long time to have that memorial uh, down at Soldier's Field ready to go and uh, it'll be great when it's completed. Yes. Um, we probably should take our break, uh, mm-hmm. get an update on news and come right back with more of Rochester Today. Tom Ostrom's here. I'm Andy Brownell. It's News Talk 1340, KROC AM and 96.9 FM. Hi, I'm Al Abaroa, founder of Knight Strategic Wealth. Tester today. Tom, what do you want to start with? We talk national stuff. Just the news. The House Oversight and Reform Committee, under the leadership of Democrats before the Republicans take over, advances a bill to track mail-in ballots. Now, I find that interesting, and I find it a ray of hope. Uh, the election irregularities, I love the phrase, have been so extensive. Uh, but to criticize it, uh, you're called an election denier. And Republicans and Democrats and everybody else is afraid to bring it up because of the label that Rose told us about, the effective label use of, of the left and demonizing people with politically uh, embarrassing news. But here, this is a Democrat committee, and uh, and the woman who did it, is very courageous, Repre- uh, Representative Carolyn Maloney, uh, a New York Democrat. And she said the measure is necessary with the doubts people have about election integrity. It will require, and this you'll find interesting because uh, you have a relative in the package business with barcodes and everything. And uh, you'll understand this better than I do, Andy. Uh, She stated the measure will require that any ballot mailed in a federal election include a postal service barcode on the envelope that is unique to the individual ballot. And she said, we'll now track packages around the world. We can track ballots. Uh, It will allow an individual to track their own ballot. The common sense requirement will enable boards of elections to confirm when a ballot was sent and give voters confidence that their votes have been cast and counted. We're going to ensure that 
officials and voters have resources to return integrity to the voting process. And it was uh, it was passed in a in a Democrat controlled committee with a 34 to five vote. And I wonder who the five were who voted against this and why they voted. And a Republican on the committee was very pleased with that GOP Kentucky Representative James Comer, who's going to lead investigations into the Biden family corruption. Um, he said, I believe increased use of mail ballots provides opportunities for election fraud. And I support equipping the Postal Service with the ability to track the ballots through the mail. And another important benefit, sometime the Postal Service employees have been uh, accused of uh, malfeasance. And this will protect the Postal Service from being uh, blamed for election uh, reg uh, irregularities. Huh. But the, the, how do you, what do you think of that, Andy? You know, I think it... I think it's something Minnesota already does because if you get an absentee ballot in Minnesota, you have an ability to track it. And I assume that that is how they're doing it. That would be the simplest way to do it is put a barcode on it. So yeah, very, it seems common sense like. Mm -hmm. But it seems technologically sophisticated uh, in a ah. way to counterpoint the, those people who might be abusing the ballot count. I I think it'd be almost the simplest thing you could do. Uh, businesses, as you pointed out, every day generate millions and millions of barcodes to track products during shipment. So it should be, you should be able to do this at minimal cost and minimal investment. And people say that the, uh, uh, some of the, illegal stuffing of the ballot boxes, uh, uh, you know, with, with absentee votes. I would imagine this would intrude on that or help no. that. Or was no, I don't think it would, would because it would require those absentee ballots to be mailed so they could be tracked. If you have the ability for them to be dropped off in person, oh. then that would circumvent any tracking oh, okay. system. Okay. Hmm. There would be technology that would enable you to do that, but that would be expensive and difficult to okay. implement. Well, thank you. Uh, Elon is winning, Elon Musk. Uh, this from Powerline, John Hinderaker. Liberals are aghast at, Elton, at Elon Musk's movement to free Twitter up from censorship, but Americans are squarely in Musk's corner. A Rasmussen poll finds an extraordinary level of concern about censorship on social media sites. And most of the people polled thought that political censorship was going on and that it was dangerous. The Rasmussen report, National Telephone and Online Survey, found 77% of U.S. voters, likely voters, believe social media companies like Facebook censor the news on the basis of their own political bias. And a large majority don't like it. 72% think censorship by social media is a serious problem. 66% of those voters approve of GOP plans to investigate social media censorship. Republicans think censorship is a bigger problem than misinformation, but Democrats think mis misinformation is a bigger problem than the censorship. But uh, Hinderaker said this, 
It's a good point. Uh, I hadn't thought of it before. Uh, he doesn't believe that he's ever heard a single Democrat cite the Russia collusion hoax as great disinformation uh, or misinformation. Uh, they just don't avoid that conclusion, but it was. But uh, anyway, the public oh. likes Elon Musk's uh, activities. And it, it's a, another example of the strange world that we're living in that, in my view, the best way to counter misinformation is with information. And if you're going to throttle misinformation, inevitably, you're also going to inadvertently throttle good information, which is needed to counter the bad information. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw a reporting of a comment that was made by Governor Walls, and this is the strange twist that we're seeing here, that um, somebody asked the governor about other states, including South Dakota, that have taken the move or made the move to ban the use of the TikTok app on government communication, computing, phones, whatever device. Uh, And I think there's five or six states have done this now because of national security concerns about the Chinese government's connections to the company that owns TikTok. I think you talked about it last week. And the governor responded, I'm paraphrasing, I don't have the exact article in front of me, but his administration is looking into what can steps can be taken to deal with Uh, the dangers posed by the social media sites and specifically mentioned Twitter, what what is happening with Twitter. So the moves by Elon Musk to foster more open communication on Twitter is now seen as a danger. Yeah. And you would think that a move that would expand free speech would be seen as a virtue mm-hmm. instead of a danger. And mm-hmm. and it, it, those polls show, I think the public is waking up to this, that especially when you see the reports of what was happening within Twitter through these files that have been released by Musk, it's potentially criminal. Yes. If, if there's enough evidence that government officials used their authority to pressure a private company, Twitter, regardless of that company was cooperating or not, to censure political speech, that that could be a conspiracy to commit sure. that crime. But it would, you'd actually have to have an attorney general who would be willing to prosecute and investigate whether it's <laughs> yeah. a crime. So I, I don't right. think that's going to go anywhere. But no, uh-uh. That'll have to wait till the Republicans take over the Senate in 2024. They've got the House that will do the investigating, but as you say, the Democrat Senate won't uh, follow up on it. But also you have an attorney general under the Biden administration who would not be interested in looking to whether his own administration might have committed a crime. That's right. I I, I don't know if you'd ever get that to stick, but it, the, the idea that you have government officials, whether elected or not, working with a private company to restrict expressions of free speech by in many cases, actual political candidates. Sure. 
and that means FBI and it means uh, the other elements of the Department of, of, of Justice. Yeah. Scary stuff. If you yep. have to start to think about it. Mm-hmm. But we've known these things have been going on and Musk is just giving the documentary evidence. That well, yeah, knowing and suspecting, I think, would be the better word for it. But I, I, <laughs> I think from what a lot of people perceive, and I'm going to put myself in that camp too, um, that these private companies, Facebook, Twitter, you name it, were acting on their own, that their ownership had their own biases and were acting on their own biases to direct, restrict, whatever the flow of information through their portals. They have every right to do that. They own it. It's theirs. But the influence of the government in making those decisions changes the landscape completely. Correct. Correct. And if someone can find out a connection, the uh, social media companies that did the censoring, they were intruding on people's uh, First Amendment rights of speech. Uh, and, and, and it would seem that civilians can't do that without repercussions. Oh, yeah, I, I could have. I... In the sense of uh, that should be a civil rights crime, if nothing more serious, of intruding on people's individual rights, which are in the... Uh, first 10 amendments so yeah but must be a way to connect them and hold them accountable but you're right they haven't been the republicans are going to try to do it but if i if i own a newspaper i don't have to publish your letter to the editor i i have that editorial control if i have a radio program i don't have to have you on i have that editorial control Mm -hmm. they own twitter they don't have to let you on but as you said, they've conspired with government agencies and agencies yes. with them. That's another kettle of fish. It is a totally different kettle of fish. Yeah. That makes it potentially a violation of our constitutional rights. Yes. All right. What do you want to cover next? <laughs> I, 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 I just was heartened by that poll. It shows that people are paying attention. Yes, it is. Miranda Devine is just delightful. Her name, uh, I think, uh, identifies her quite correctly. She is divine. She's attractive. She's smart. She's on Fox News a lot. And she suffered the threats because she's the New York Post reporter that released the uh, Hunter Biden laptop scandal. And, of course, then she was taken off social media and the, 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 the left-wing media didn't cover it and the FBI covered it up. And so she's got a column. The media's silence now on the Twitter files is shameful. They're not covering what Elon Musk is discovering. And she said, what happened to all the news that's fit to print? And democracy dies in darkness. The mottos of the two most influential newspapers in the country, the New York Times, Washington Post, uh, they are not covering the Elon Musk revelations non-coverage of the Twitter files for more than 10 days. Uh, uh, CEO Jack Dorsey, Dorsey, the former Twitter uh, chief executive, lied to Congress about about what they're doing and what they did and didn't do. Conservative medical professionals were silenced on COVID. And the Hunter Labs 
top stories and criticism were, and the, and the Afghan withdrawal were not covered by the left-wing media, Fauci's bogus edicts and lockdowns. Censorship's been the order of the day, but they aren't covering Elon Musk's revelations. And she's again the nucleus of the Hunter Biden laptop scandal. It would, yeah. It's, uh, I, I think it's shameful. Uh, is what I, my opinion. I, I look at um, the excuses that the Washington Post has continues to make for its lack of coverage on the Hunter Biden laptop case. At least the New York Times has come around is actually covering the case. Yes, they're on the story now, but. I imagine it's embarrassing as I'll get out to these organizations that they 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 more or less did the government's bidding. I mean, by they they self-censured themselves from what is a big story and a story that could have influenced the outcome of that election if that information had been made public and not dismissed as Russian disinformation. It may have made a difference. That's right. And you're correct, Andy, and people have said that. A poll showed 70% of voters think they would have changed their votes had they known this. And the FBI knew the validity of the Hunter laptop story because they had the Hunter laptop in their possession. And they went to the social media companies and said, watch out, this is coming up. Dismiss it as a disinformation uh, uh, Russian uh, intrusion gambit. And so that was deliberate. And uh, the... Uh, there's a, there's some times where the and, and the trouble at the FBI is the top administrators are not FBI law enforcement officers. They're they're taken from the legal arena, the political arena. To me, the head of the FBI, and this wouldn't happen if it was the case, should be a law enforcement officer with experience uh, on the ground and administrative skills. Uh, or the FBI, I think, should be defunded. Maybe it will be when the Republicans take charge of the House and maybe in 2024, the Senate and the White House. Okay, well, I'm not going to hold my breath on that. I promise you that much. But what upsets me most is the major media outlets who have not adequately covered the Hunter Biden laptop story or the Twitter files um, are once again destroying their own credibility mm-hmm. by saying, I, I don't get it. You already have so much much mistrust in the media and the profession of journalism today. This this can't help. And you know, I, the polls show that the emperor has no clothes, as the old saying goes. I, we have to take a break. We're way behind. <laughs> we'll come back in a moment with a little bit more. Rochester Today with Tom Ostrom. I'm Andy Brownell, News Talk 1340. KROC AM and 96.9 FM. This is The Family with Andy Brownell and Tom Ostrom on News Talk 1340 KROC AM and 96.9 FM. We are back with Rochester today. We're going to speak fast. We only have a few minutes left, Tom. (laughs) Well, first, I want to commend you on your perceptive uh, comment last time. Uh, You said that uh, the censorship of social media and the media's participation in it is because the media sincerely believes that the other side of the coin gives more danger to the society with their views 
than the censorship does. You made that observation, Andy, and I hadn't heard it put so well before. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Justin Trudeau, Prime Minister of Canada. Uh, Xi, the uh, Chinese leader, chided him at an international conference right in front of the cameras for releasing information in a private meeting. He just chewed him out and Trudeau looked shaken by it. Maybe this is part of Trudeau's uh, retaliation. Um, uh, but, uh, but I'm sorry, I got that wrong. Uh, Trudeau, uh, yeah, well, maybe it made Trudeau uh, try to find something nice to say about China. Maybe let's put it that way. He praised China's anti-COVID lockdown uh, against protesters, but the same guy went after Canadian truckers and uh, uh, he used pepper spray on them by police, tow trucks, bank account freezes, see, uh, child removals from homes, arrested of, arrest of leaders, went after truckers who dared to demonstrate against the COVID lockdowns in Canada. And yet he praised China's lockdown. Uh, and so it shows him quote the Chinese positively and then threatening the truckers a quote from him if they don't dispense with their protest. And, and one an analyst said he's attempting to make voters forget, but the Canadian Parliament is looking into what he did and he's not off the hook yet. All right. And, and then Canada is getting uh, totalitarian. This is an issue some people fear will come to the United States. Canadian euthanasia deaths are about to pass their COVID death rates as the government doubles down on eliminating citizens. The handicapped people, the people who are very ill, who can't pay their medical bills, and they have uh, really, they have people, uh, uh, medical people, encouraging patients uh, to 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 request uh, euthanasia. More than ten thousand people in Canada, three percent of the deaths are ended their lives via euthanasia. Uh, Canadian officials uh, encourage it, and. Uh, uh, and they're expanding the list for euthanasia. And some people say that's a threat to the handicapped. It's, uh, it's economically uh, motivated. And uh, and some disabled people are saying they want to die because they can't afford their medical bills. And Professor Tim Stanton of the Canadian Institute for Inclusion and Citizenship, this is the biggest existential threat to disabled people since the Nazis in Germany. So much for inclusion, right? Yeah. Um, Gallagher, who's on before us, he had a story earlier in the week that a military veteran in Canada was having leg, some something, leg injury issues and was seeking some rehab benefits from the Canadian health system and uh, was made complaints because the response she got from the person she was dealing with and whatever agency it was, was, no, we won't pay for your rehab, but if you want to go through uh, euthanasia counseling, we'll, we'll pay for that. And this military veteran reported it, and apparently that there's a little bit of a, a little bit of a controversy erupting over this on That's the right. other side of the border. He was, her name was Christine Gauthier. She was a Paralympian, and, uh, uh, and, and she wanted a staircase elevator to get her up the stairs, and a Canadian official said, ah what what you just said scary stuff tom really yeah. scary stuff um hate to end on that note but that's where we have to end because we're out of time mm -hmm. we'll chat again next tuesday uh -huh.
Okay. All right. Tom Ostrom, I'm Andy Brownell. It's News Talk 1340, KROC AM and 96.9 FM. I'm Chip Davis of Mannheim Steamroller.